So when I was a kid, um, a tornado came. You know, I was used to a lot of storms and stuff, but a tornado uh, came through our town as a kid. And, and I remember driving around. Uh, we lived out in the country. I remember driving around our neighbor's houses. It didn't hit our house, but, but I remember driving around our neighbor's houses and just seeing, you know, roofs off. And there was like, uh, there was like a toilet out in somebody's yard. We were like, how did that happen? And, um, and went into town. There's trees that were just totally uprooted. Um, just the power of a storm like that is, is devastating, how powerful a storm like that can be. Um, and uh, a storm can be defined as a violent disturbance of the atmosphere. A violent disturbance of the atmosphere. And so there are, are physical storms, you know, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, all these things that happen um, that, that, that can be devastating. And, and sometimes it's, it's that literal uh, wind and rain and flood and hail and all that stuff. But we also, as we know well, we experience all kinds of emotional, spiritual, relational, physical, health storms. Uh, there's all kinds of different ways that we can experience a violent disturbance of the atmosphere, right? Uh, and, and, and we've got probably every family, every household, every person in this room could share maybe about an ongoing disturbance of the atmosphere, a current disturbance of the atmosphere, or maybe you've just come out of one or you see one up on the horizon. Um, And and again, we know that some of those storms um, just come come at us from evil. Some of those storms come at us from a sovereign God. Uh, Some of those storms we bring on ourselves. Some of those storms are the result of choices other people have made. And, and it's hard a lot of times in the midst of a storm to know exactly where is it coming from or what caused it. And I don't even know that, that that's the most helpful question to even ask. Uh, but I want to talk about a few ways we can navigate our way through those storms. Whether, the, whether it's a health storm, a marriage storm, a, 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 a singleness storm, it's a, it's a, it's a parental storm, it's a, it's a friend storm, it's a... It's a uh, a money storm, you know, some storm came in and blew all the money out of, my, out of my bank account or whatever it is, whatever kind of storm it is, whatever it is that is creating that violent disturbance in the atmosphere, how can we navigate through it? So storms reveal what we're made of and they reveal what we rely on. Storms reveal what we're made of and they reveal what we rely on. And when we're walking through a storm, we realize that we're more deeply in need of God's grace than we even knew. So, so one storm that my family's been navigating through over the past few months, many of you know, and, and there's some folks in this room that have been just great friends to us uh, during our, our, our time. Of we've, we've just embarked out into a season of being foster parents. And uh, so a few months ago, we became foster parents. And, and, and I'm going to admit, we knew that was going to be hard, but we probably went into it a little overconfident, um, uh, so, I mean, we've we got four kids. I mean, they're, 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 they've done great, you know. I mean, how hard could this thing be? And, uh, and, and we probably went into it um, a little overconfidently. We knew it was going to be tough, but we just didn't know the ways it was going to be hard and the ways it was going to be harder than we, than we imagined. And so uh, we have felt the effects of, of a storm, a disturbance in our home's atmosphere uh, in our relationships with our biological children, Son and I have experienced some storminess in our relationship with one another. Um, all kinds of, of storms. Is, and, and, and what we've realized is um, we are in need of God's grace way more than we thought we were. <laughs> and that's what happens when we walk through a storm. You don't walk through a storm and say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty great after all. We walk through a storm and say, you know, I'm, I'm more in need of God's grace than I ever even realized. 
And that's really good news because God's grace is available to us. Um, we come to learn that we need it. And so Acts chapter 2 begins with this uh, mighty rushing wind. Remember, um, uh, this, this, the, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the early church and, and it's described as this rushing mighty wind. And another way that that could be described is as a hurricane. I mean, God's wind uh, just kind of blows through the pages of the book of Acts like a hurricane. And, um, and, and, and so it's interesting that, that, that the book begins with that hurricane force of God's love and God's spirit, and it ends with Paul walking through chapter after chapter of storm after storm in his life. Acts chapter 21 through 27 depicts the stormiest season in Paul's life. At this point in his life, he's been faithfully serving Jesus for decades. You ever feel like, I'm, I'm serving Jesus, I'm doing the right things, why is this happening? Whoever asks that kind of question, well, if so, we can look at the life, well, we can look at Jesus on the cross, but we can look at uh, the life of Paul. And Paul's been faithfully serving Jesus for decades. He's been, he was radically converted, radically saved, transformed uh, in Acts, uh, we see that in, in Acts 7 and 8 and and nine, and and, uh, and and then we see that that he just spends decades of his life sharing Jesus everywhere, everywhere that'll listen. And he gets uh, he gets thrown into prison over and over. He gets beaten up over and over. He gets run out of town. He gets heartache. Um, and 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 in a in a stormy life, Acts chapter twenty one through twenty seven are probably the the stormiest season of his life. And what's happened um, is he has sensed God calling him to go back to Jerusalem. And everywhere he goes, people say, don't go back to Jerusalem, Paul. You don't want to do that. They're going to hurt you there. And he says, I I got to because God's led me to, even though it doesn't make conventional sense to anybody else. And so he goes to Jerusalem, and he gets arrested, and he gets thrown in prison, and he gets falsely accused. And then he gets turned over to the Roman authorities, to the Roman governor. And then that Roman governor, Felix, uh, Lee kind of forgets about him. And Paul is kind of stuck in like, bureaucracy in prison just kind of forgotten about for two years anybody ever dealt with the system and you know kind of what it feels like to be stuck in a and he's just forgotten about in prison for two years and finally this new guy named festus comes along which if anybody's looking for a name for your child festus is probably available probably the only festus in their class and uh, Festus comes along, and this first day on the job, he says, who's this Paul guy? And he brings Paul out, and Paul uh, makes an appeal to Caesar, which is something that any Roman citizen could do. Any Roman citizen could say, I want my case to be heard before Caesar. And the thing is, is that it, Paul knows that there's people that are trying to kill him, and he also knows that he's been given a mission by God to go to Rome and share the gospel in the seat, in the heart of human power and authority. But most people wouldn't appeal to Caesar because like a guy like Nero doesn't like to be interrupted and um, and a guy like Nero uh, isn't really favorably disposed towards Christians to begin with and um, uh, and the message that Paul is going to preach is hey Caesar Jesus is Lord of the universe and you're not and so for all of these reasons it, it was a gamble to say the least to appeal to Caesar but it, it's it's what would get Paul out of harm's way in the moment but more importantly, it was what was going to allow for Paul to fulfill the mission that God's given him uh, to go and take the gospel to Rome. He's going to Rome, just not going the way he thought he would. 
And so even the process of going to Rome then is fraught with, and he even, uh, he's been in a storm for a couple years, and then he gets in a literal storm, a literal shipwreck. Uh, and we're going to kind of look at Paul's story here, look over a, a, a few different passages and look at, as we look at this season in Paul's life, a, a, a metaphorical storm in some ways, but also literal storm that he walks through and shipwreck that he walks through. What do we see in Paul that can kind of give us some things to grab hold of when we're walking through a financial storm, when we're walking through a marital storm, when we're walking through a parental storm, we're walking through a relationship storm, when we're walking through a, a health storm, whatever it is, what are some things we can grab hold of as we navigate our way through those storms that life throws our way? All right? Um, and so uh, the first thing uh, that I see as, 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 as I look at Paul's uh, uh, storm here and how he navigates his way through it is uh, if we're going to make it through the storm first is we got to keep anchored keep anchored to the mission keep anchored to the mission let's go to uh, acts 23 verse 11 we're going to we're going to kind of uh, skip around through these final chapters and just hit some highlights acts 23 verse 11 now paul is is being lied about and threatened and hauled before authorities and this and that Acts 23, 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. And this vision, or this commission, this call that Paul is given, is what's going to carry him, and what's going to anchor him, is what's going to motivate him to keep going, no matter what happens in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. Now, some of us are saying, well, yeah, I mean, if the resurrected Jesus would just stand by me and tell me this, I, I, I would be fine. Well, uh, Paul is playing a very specific role in, in, in history here. Um, and, and the reality is the, the commission that Paul is given is really just an extension of the commission that everybody was given in Acts chapter 1-8 where Jesus says, you will be clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when we're struggling, when we're struggling financially, when we're struggling in our marriage, when we're struggling uh, legally, when we're struggling um, uh, uh, physically, um, and I want to say this with as much nurture and care as I have, but, but sometimes we feel like when we're struggling, God pushes pause and says, okay, you're no longer expected to be part of the mission right now because you're having a hard time. And the reality is, is even though we're struggling, God is still calling us and has still commissioned you and has still empowered you to be His witness. Even in the midst of Paul's struggle, Paul is a witness for Christ. He, he, you know, and God's not calling you to have it all together. He's not having you to have all the answers. But even when things are going bad, even when life is blowing up, even when we're sick, God has placed you where He's placed you to be His witness wherever you are to the ends of the earth. And you are anchored in your storm by the reality that your purpose for being on this planet is to be a witness, to proclaim the excellencies of the God who's called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. So you be a witness in whatever pit you may be in. Um, and God gives you what you need to do that. Be anchored, keep anchored by mission. Second, keep seizing opportunities. Go to, uh, go to Acts 26, verse 12. Acts 26, verse 12. Um, 
So what's going on here is now Festus replaced Felix. Festus is now the, the, gov- the Roman governor in this, in this region. And Festus, who has, again, the greatest name ever, Festus gets a visit by King Agrippa and Agrippa's female friend, Bernice. And Agrippa is a descendant of Herod. We remember the name Herod, right? So Agrippa and Bernice, if you were in the first century and you read about Bernice, that would kind of be like hearing about Kim Kardashian or, or Kylie Jenner or something like that. Bernice was one of these ladies that was all, if there had been, uh, if there had been like, uh, uh, what are they called, the gossip magazine, she would have been on the cover every week. Everybody was talking about Bernice and what, uh, who, she was, who she was with at this time. And at this particular point, she's on Agrippa's arm. And he's a king of this area. He's, he's uh, from Herod's line. And it's interesting that the Roman governor asks a Herod descendant what to do with this Christian. That takes us back to the gospel story where, uh, where the Roman governor, Pilate, asks a Herod descendant, what do I do with this Jesus character? And so that's the position that Paul's in. And Paul gets drug out of his prison cell where he's been forgotten about for two years. Anybody, anybody in the room you've been forgotten about in a prison cell in the first century Middle East? Uh, for two years, and then you find out you're going to, at some point in time, get hauled before the Roman governor. Anybody feel like you'd be up for, like, chit-chat? And you're there because people have been lying about you because you've been telling the gospel to people. Anybody feel like you might say, you know what, I deserve a me day? Well, Well, Paul gets brought before Festus, and Agrippa and Bernice, these socialites, these wealthy people, the most, some of the most prominent people in the world, he gets drugged before them, and what he does is he tells his story. He says, you know what? I was a hater of Christians myself, and I met the risen Lord, and he knocked me off my horse. He tells his testimony. Acts 26, verse 12. In this connection, he's talking to Agrippa and Bernice and Festus. I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's telling the story. Verse 15, and I said, uh, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which, uh, which I will appear to you, delivering uh, you from your people and from, the, and, from those in which, uh, uh, and from the Gentiles to those who I'm sending you, to open their eyes, verse 18, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, verse 19, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then throughout all the region of Judea, also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple, and they tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by uh, being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Now, Festus at this time says with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. He says, King Agrippa, you know about these things. You know about the prophets. And to him I speak boldly. I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. He said, Jesus didn't get crucified in a corner. Jesus didn't raise from the dead in a corner. This happened in front of everybody. You know about this, Agrippa. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe the prophets. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? 
Paul's bold. He's in the, I mean, he's been in prison for two years for lies. He's in the midst of his storm and he seizes this opportunity. He said, I don't care if I look like a fool in front of the Kardashians of the world. I don't care if I look like a fool in front of the most powerful people in this region. I, I'm going to get hauled in to give my testimony. Well, I'm going to give my testimony. I'm going to give the testimony of how Jesus changed my life and how there's salvation found in no other name but his. I'm going to share the gospel. When you are in a pit, when you're in a storm, even though we don't feel like it, we have opportunities and we can seize those uh, gospel opportunities. And, and Agrippa's saying, man, why is this guy the way he is? Man, you're, gonna, you're about to persuade me to be a Christian. So people are asking a question about your life. Your life is begging one of two questions. People are either looking at your life and saying, man, why are you the way you are? Or they're saying, why are you the way you are? <laughs> why are you the way you are? Or why are you the way you are? And Paul's life is this testimony to the transforming power of the king. 1 Peter 3.15, Paul is living this out here. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Man, you get, you're broke. How can you still be telling people about Jesus? Man, your marriage is falling apart. Man, you're sick. And, and how come you're the one praying with the, uh, with the nurses? Because, because I've got this hope in me. That Jesus put there. Can I tell you about how I came to be this way? That's how uh, we can be anchored in the storm. We keep, we, we keep grounded in, in the mission. We keep seizing gospel opportunities. And three, we keep communing with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Chapter 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we, circle that word we, whenever we is, is, is used in Acts, remember we've seen this a few times, that means Luke, the author of Acts, is along for the ride. So we decided that we should sell for Italy. They delivered Paul and some of other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking on a ship of Andromedium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Paul says to his people, he says to his life group, he says, hey guys, I'm gonna, I, I've been sitting here in prison for two years, you know this, I'm about to die, you know this, I'm going to go and tell the emperor, get this, I'm going to go stand in front of the emperor, and I'm going to tell him that Jesus is the king of the universe, and he's not. Who's in? And Luke and Aristarchus say, yeah, we're down with that, we can do that, we're, we, can, we can clear our calendars. If you're in the middle of a storm, you don't have to go through that storm by yourself. You need a couple people that will jump in the boat with you. You need a couple of people like Luke and Aristarchus that'll say, all right, I mean, we're certain death. Yeah, we're in. We're, we're, we're with you in that. Um, and, and, and part of the way you find that kind of person, if I can speak frankly to you, is you be that kind of person. Be the kind of person that's in the boat with other people. And you'll find that when you need somebody in the boat with you, there's somebody in the boat with you. you don't go through it alone. Don't shut out the people that are wanting to be in the boat with you just because they're not the people you wish were in the boat with you. Think about that one. Keep seeking the sovereign one. Chapter 27, verse 21. Uh, chapter 27, verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long, now there's a literal storm happening. The ship is getting torn to pieces. The, 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 the captain and the crew are trying to run away. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. I just got, I got to say I relate to Paul at this point. Um, he had said earlier, it's too late in the year 
to set sail from this point. It's dangerous. We're going to hit a storm, but nobody listened to him. They said, preachers don't know anything about sailing, and so they did their own thing. And Paul says that this, he takes the opportunity in the middle of the storm to say, hey, guys, you should have listened to me and not. Um, and so uh, that's kind of like when one of my kids is like, like spinning around like on a, on a chair, and I'm like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And they fall and bust their head. I'm like, well, you should have listened to your dad. That's the lesson. And that's exactly what Paul, he says, hey guys, you should have listened to me. Now that we've got that out of the way, verse 22, I urge you to take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. We're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to die. This very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. I've got a mission. I'm going to stand before Caesar. I'm going to proclaim the gospel to Caesar and I'm going to probably die for that. And behold, God has granted you all all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on some island. Paul trusts the sovereignty of God. And when we are in the middle of a storm, whether it's financial, health, marital, relational, whatever it is, we got to seek the God who is sovereign. Now, God's sovereignty doesn't mean that He sends every storm to us. But His sovereignty means that He will guide us through whatever storm we're in. So when I was, uh, when I was a little guy, I used to spend a lot of time at my grandmother's. Um, and, uh, and my dad would pick me up after work after I'd spent there a night or two nights or three nights or whatever. He'd pick me up after work. We'd drive home. And we lived three and a half miles off of, a, off of, a, off of the, the pavement. We lived three and a half miles up a dirt road. And so we'd turn into the dirt road. My dad would let me. I was over here in the front seat because it was when you could still do that, right? And, uh, and, and, and he would put me in his lap. And I was a little guy. Uh, I don't know if I was that little, but I was a little guy. And, um, and I, would, I would sit in his lap and I would steer and I would drive that three and a half miles and I would take that so seriously. Oh, I'm getting too close to the ditch. Oh, I'm getting too close to the ditch. And then when we would, we would pull into the yard, into the driveway, I was so proud if one of my sisters or my mom happened to be outside and they would see what the, what the big man had accomplished. I drove home. <laughs> And as I got bigger, I came to realize that my dad's hands were down here on the bottom of the wheel. And he was steering, and his feet were operating the pedals. And guys, understanding the sovereignty of God is kind of like that. We're working so hard to drive. And your father has his hands on the wheel. Whether you see it, whether you understand it, whether you know it. There were times my dad would kind of take us over to the ditch, and I, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he was just messing with me. That's probably not what God does, but that's what my dad did. <laughs> Bad example. But, but your father has his hands on the wheel. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. Look at Paul. Look at Jesus. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that every terrible thing that happened to you, he sent to you. No. But everything that happens, he's with you. And his hands are on the wheel. And when we're in a storm, we seek the sovereignty of God. You know, storms don't just reveal, sorry, don't just reveal who we trust. Storms transform us storms are instruments in the hands of a sovereign god to transform us um we'll come back to that last thing or second to last thing keep leading look at verse 33 we've already kind of gotten a glimpse of paul's leadership and then skip down to verse 33 as day was about to dawn paul urged all of them to take some food saying today is the 14th day you've continued in suspense and without food having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to... We know these weren't Baptists on this boat because they've gone 14 days without eating. He says, I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength. 
For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God. It's almost like communion. In the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged, and they ate some food themselves. They were all 276 people on the boat. Look at Paul's leadership in the midst of the storm. When you're in a storm, keep leading. And a lot of times we say, well, I'm not the leader. You don't got... Paul was the lowest person on the org chart on this boat. He was a slave. He's got soldiers on the boat with him. He's got a centurion on the boat with him. He's got professional sailors on the boat with him. They wouldn't listen to him at first, but they're listening to him now. And so whoever in your workplace, you may be saying, well, my boss just doesn't know anything. You may be a wife saying, well, my husband, I mean, he just doesn't want to give his life to God, so I'm just stuck until he does. No. You lead. You lead. Whoever you are in the org chart of your family or your church or your workplace, you are called to lead. Paul, there wasn't anybody on this boat lower down the totem pole than Paul. And God used him to lead. Just like God used David to lead Saul, David respected and honored Saul. And and God utilized him as an instrument in Saul's life. God will use you wherever you are on the org chart. So keep leading. You lead through encouraging. You lead through uh, being an example. You lead through inspiring those around you. That's exactly what Paul does. And, and, and you're not the only person in the storm. Paul says 276 of us on this boat. Man, you're not the only person in a storm. And I'm not saying that to belittle your storm. I'm saying that to say, hey, you don't have to go through it by yourself. Others have walked the road you're walking. I promise you. You know, as I think about Paul in the storm, and I think, about, I think about Jonah and how Jonah got in a storm and a shipwreck because he ran away from God. And Paul is running, chasing Jesus as hard as he can, and he's in a storm. Sometimes we go through a storm because we're rebellious. And sometimes we go through a storm because we're faithful. And there's always going to be people that say, that try to diagnose or guess why you may be going through the storm. But you may be going through it because you're rebellious. You may be going through it because you're faithful. Paul and Jonah both went through storms. But, but however it is, we can keep seeking those opportunities and seizing them. We can keep rooted in the mission. We can keep seeking the sovereign God. We can keep anchored in the mission. And finally, keep listening to God, no matter what everybody else says. Look at chapter 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Now they've shipwrecked on, on, a, on, on Malta, the island. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. So all these, all these guys, every one of them lives. They get shipwrecked. They swim to shore. The, the natives of the island, they welcome them. They make a fire for them. They're hospitable to them. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. I was telling my son this story. He said, well, why'd that snake bite Paul? I said, that's just not, I don't know why. It's just what snakes do. I mean, you're missing the point. The point is the, the snake bit him. Okay, jumped out of a, a, a roll of sticks and bit him. Um, and when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man's a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, don't play with snakes. That's not, that's not what you learned in church today, was you can get bit by a snake. But notice the fickleness of humanity. Man, this guy's going through this hard time because he must be some kind of big sinner. And then a few minutes later, they're saying, this guy must be a god. People are going to say all kinds of things about you. 
And if you're going, if the bottom drops out of your marriage or the bottom drops out of your finances or your business collapses, whatever happens, there's going to be people who say, yeah, I always knew you couldn't trust her. There's going to be people like that. I had a, a person tell me a long time ago that if anybody makes a Messiah out of you, watch out because pretty soon they're going to crucify you. We got to have people that we trust. We got to have the people that are on our boat that we trust, but you can't trust everybody. And you can't listen to what everybody says. Paul is listening to God. And there were people that go from thinking he's a murderer to thinking he's a God. People are fickle. So you root your identity in who God says you are. I want to close um, with just uh, this image here. Uh, uh, my friend Lorraine let me borrow this uh, piece of driftwood. This is a beautiful piece of driftwood. I think it's beautiful. Isn't that amazing? Normally you don't find a piece of driftwood that, that large. Um, and as I, as I thought about this, I thought about how many storms has that thing weathered before it blew into an antique shop somewhere and Lorraine came and snagged it up. But how many storms has that thing weathered? Not only do storms reveal, but storms are instruments in the hands of a sovereign God to transform us. And there's two things about driftwood, at least in my opinion. One is a fact, driftwood provides shelter for creatures that are seeking shelter from a storm. This piece of driftwood that survived countless storms, as it's floating out there on the water or it's washed up on the riverbank somewhere, or the, 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 the lake shore, it provides shelter for all kinds of creatures that need refuge. The storms that you've been in, God can use to make you a safe place for other people that are going through storms. And the second thing, this is beautiful. It's beautiful. And there's a beauty that God can develop in you that only happens as you walk through storms. Storms can make us beautiful. Storms can make us shelter. And I wish there was a way that we could just microwave and get there. But that's not God's way. So whatever storm you're in, I urge you to keep seizing opportunities. Keep rooted, anchored in the mission. Keep seeking the sovereign God. And keep leading wherever you are on the org chart.